If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to grab it. Turn to Daniel chapter 9. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in the pew there in front of you. If you're new to the Bible, there's a table of contents at the front. We've all used it many times. Some lessons are better caught than taught. I grew up homeschooled, which doesn't surprise many people that talk to me. And my mom in the morning would teach us about this book almost every day. And in the evenings, my father uh, was part of leading a camp for emotionally disturbed teenagers uh, that the Byron Nelson Golf Tournament sponsored for many, many years. Most evenings he was home if he wasn't helping there at camp. And in the evenings, he would teach us about this book. And before I tell you more, you need to know my family's had lots of issues. If my parents were here today, they would tell you that they're not perfect parents and uh, I am far from a perfect son. But my parents wanted me to, to know the God of this Bible. They didn't want me to know the words in the Bible as much as they wanted me to know the word that became flesh that the Bible tells us about, that we just sung about, whose name is Jesus. But some lessons are better caught than taught. I remember in my childhood waking up a few times when it was still dark outside. And my dad, I've mentioned at times at night, would be out because he would go and he would have to take care of issues that some of the kids were having at camp. But I remember a few times before it was light outside, waking up and going downstairs and seeing my dad sitting in his chair with his Bible in his lap. And I remember thinking, wow. My dad's meeting with God. Uh, I remember as a young kid pulling my dad's Bible into my lap and looking at it because I knew it was important. I'd seen, some lessons are better caught than taught, I'd seen in his life. My mom, when I go home right now, still for me, one of the, I'm sorry, I've been emotionally worshipped today, but... Uh, one of the greatest gifts in my life is watching my parents meet with God. I was texting with her earlier this week uh, and asking her what she's taking notes on right now. And she has cards she's taking notes on. My brothers and I recently, uh, I say recently, it's probably 10, 15 years ago, had a conversation about what we would want to inherit from my parents and all of us talked about wanting my dad's 
Bible. He takes notes in his Bible. There's notes all over the pages. And that conversation prompted me to want to do that for my oldest daughter. And so did that for years, passed it on to her when she started personally meeting with God in her own time and now doing it for my youngest not because I do it perfectly. Like, I, y'all need to know, y'all, if you've come here, you've learned how messed up I am, for the record. That's usually how I start my sermons. Watching my parents meet with God has had a significant impact on my life. Why do I start there? Well, one, maybe as a parent for you, I would just encourage you, if you have kids in the home, when you meet with God, do it in a place, not, not on purpose so you're on a stage, but do it in a place where they can find you doing it because that's impacted my life. But two, today, we're going to get to stumble into one of Daniel's quiet times. Chapter 9 is going to start with Daniel reading out of the Bible. In fact, a book that you and I have, right? His Bible, we have all of it and then some. And Daniel, as he reads the Bible, is going to be prompted in response to what he's reading in the Bible to pray. Some people say prayer is one of the most undervalued resources in the church. Daniel is going to pray in his quiet time, and we're going to get to see his prayer. And this is really cool because as we look at Daniel, right, in the story of Daniel, prayer has been primary in his life. We saw in chapter 2 when he finds out that the king is going to like tear all of the wise men limb from limb if they can't tell the king the dream and the interpretation. What does he do? He goes to his friends and he prays. We, we see in chapter 3, his friends find out they have to bow down and pray to an idol and they say no. And so the fiery furnace is in front of them and God saves them not really from the furnace but through the furnace. We see prideful men that will not bow their knees and pray to God in chapters 5 and chapter 6 as negative examples. I'm sorry, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 6 shows up and then you have the story of the lion's den where he's commanded to pray to the king and he will not do that. Instead, he prays to God like three times a day. The Bible tells us Daniel is on his knees in prayer. And we get to read. We get to walk into his quiet time. So yeah, I, can't, I can't have you walk into my parents' living area. Right now where they do it is they have, there's these two little white recliners that look into their backyard. But this, this is probably, mom and dad, if you listen, sorry, this is better. Ezekiel, not better for me because they're my parents, but Ezekiel at one point tells us, he alludes that Daniel was one of the three most righteous men who ever lived. And we get to learn from his prayer. Now, at the end of his prayer is going to be a prophecy that is going to knock your socks off if you've never seen it. And if you're here today, and there are many in the room who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, you may not even believe this book is true. I can't wait for you to see what happens at the end of chapter 9 in response to his prayer. Y'all with me? Right. Right. 
In order to honor God's word, I want to invite you to stand. I'm just going to read the first two verses, but this is just to remind us. These are the spirit-inspired words of God. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, a descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would communicate to us through this book today. God, prompt us as we get to, to look into Daniel's life to catch. Maybe for me today, as I try to teach, uh, maybe this lesson is better caught than taught. Help us catch from Daniel his heart for your word and the prayer that comes out of it. And then let us see the supernatural power of this book and the promise of your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you sit down, Empowered Prayer is what I'm going to title the outline. We're going to look at the prompt for his prayer. We're going to see the posture of his prayer, the requests he makes in prayer, and then this supernatural response to his prayer. Sorry, I couldn't make them all P's or R's. If you just, if that offends you, there it is. Two P's, two R's. There we go. Prompt, posture, prompt. The prompt in his prayer is Scripture. If you didn't see it, he's reading from the book of Jeremiah. Just for fun, it's not on PowerPoint uh, because I decided to read it this morning. So go to Jeremiah 29 if you want to do it. It's twice in the book of Jeremiah. But I'm going to read out of Jeremiah 29. In Jeremiah 29 is where we read uh, that he was telling them how to live when they are in exile in Babylon. It says you need to serve the good of the city and Daniel was doing that. Verse 10, Jeremiah 29 says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So how long were they going to be in exile? 70 years. Now verse 11, I just want to point this out. Maybe the most mis used verse in our Bible, often when we talk about verses out of context, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And that plan involved 70 years in exile. Many who were hearing these words were going to die in exile. The plans for hope and future were through exile. Verse 12 now, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Daniel's reading in the book of Jeremiah, 70 years at this point in time, 66-ish have passed, and he is saying, oh Lord, 70 years, it's about time. And you say in the Bible to pray, I'm gonna let this Bible prompt me to do what you told me to do and his Bible reading overflows into prayer. Y'all see it? It's what he does. Martin Luther wrote power in prayer. If you want empowered prayer, 
power in prayer is catching God at his word. If you're a parent, you ever around a kid who uh, hears you say something and then repeats it back to you over and over and over again? Yeah. Dad, you said we could, we could have ice cream. Dad, you said we could have ice cream. Dad, yes, I didn't know we were going to be out of ice cream. You know, whatever. Hey, God has never said anything that was not fully true and he didn't mean. You, you want empowered prayer? You get to do what Daniel did. You get to see what God's word says and then pray it into action. Daniel catches God at his word. By the way, specifically for me in my life, uh, a few months ago, after Easter, I mean, awesome season for us in the church. I mean, we're, we're seeing God do incredible things. After Easter, I, I hit a wall, a fatigue wall. I was like, I'm tired. What's happening? I'm tired. And as I've walked through the book of Daniel, one of the things I've been reminded of is I went through a season of prioritizing. I was still having time with the Lord every day, but I wasn't in the same way letting the word of God drive prayer in my life. And God has started to readjust that for me, and I'm so thankful. Like there's fresh life that he's breathing into me. Prayer is so important. Yeah, I've mentioned to you all I have a sabbatical coming up this next year. I'm super excited. It's coming in the fall. One of the things I'm going to ask you to do is pray, to pray for me. Why? Because that's important. Are you letting God's word drive prayer in your life for you, for others? It's so important. It's, Daniel does. The prompt of scripture, the posture is confession. Confession. Now I'm going to read a big chunk of the prayer because a big chunk of the prayer is saying the same thing over and over again. And it's, God, I want to confess to you that I, and not just I, but we as your people are sinful people, that we have rebelled against you, that we have gone the other way. And he's just, listen, he's just going to confess. Verse three, then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. That's going to be his request in a little bit. We'll see with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, quote, Daniel's words in his quiet time. We get to listen in his study. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, to those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, For we have rebelled against him 
and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Do y'all notice how Daniel approaches God in prayer? Daniel does not approach God in prayer saying, God, I've tried really hard to do really good and I want you to look at those really good things that I did yesterday and try to ignore the other things. That's not, that's not what he does. I think many people do not pray because they think that in order to pray, you have to do all the right things for God to listen to you. Daniel knows, and it's all over this first part of confession, that God is a God that is merciful. He even tells the story about him delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt as he confesses the sin of his people. In Ezekiel 14, 14, where he alludes to Daniel being one of the three most righteous people in the Bible, one of the other three is Job. In Job chapter one, we get to see in Job's prayer life, and it tells us that Job twice a day confessed sin. But not just his sin, he confessed the sin of, anybody know? His children. Did y'all notice in the prayers of Daniel that Daniel was not just confessing his own sin, but he was confessing sin corporately. A leader makes the problem of the people he's leading his own responsibility. And a spiritual leader, parents, and any of you, many of you are community leaders, your leaders in our schools, your leaders in your workplace, your leaders in your friend group, your leaders in your peer group. Spiritual leaders make the sins of the group they're leading part of their confession. Isn't that interesting? And Daniel, Daniel's posture in prayer before God is one of not self-righteousness, 
It's one of confession, which then leads directly into his request. If you're taking notes, his request is a plea for mercy. Verse 3 told us this was his request. Verse 16, it plays out. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, again, God's righteousness, not our own, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Mercy is literally not giving someone what they deserve. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. God, do not give us what we deserve. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon Y'all notice the words there? Lord bless you and keep you. Make your face shine upon. Let, let your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. For the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great, what? Mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because of your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's prayer is a prayer for mercy in line with the character of the God that he knows being a God of mercy. When God appeared to Moses, it was declared to Moses when God was showing his glory to Moses that he was a God abounding in steadfast love and mercy. That, that this was a God who didn't give people what they deserve all the time. But God was able to extend mercy. I mentioned earlier uh, the words around, and I don't know if I actually use these words, but self-righteous prayer. Um, my daughter and I, we got to be part of helping lead a trip to Egypt about a month ago. And every time I'm in a country, maybe for you, you grew up Muslim. Maybe if you're here, you are Muslim. Maybe if you're joining us online right now, you're Muslim. I want you to know that I respect, really do, the Muslim discipline to pray five times a day. Like we see in Daniel's life, he had a discipline and Jews that are reverent Jews will pray three times a day. Like that's beautiful and powerful. What I think is sad about many who pray five times a day and three times a day, and unfortunately I would say for many Christians, is they think that by doing that, that I'm earning favor with God. On some level, that I am approaching God in prayer based on my righteousness. 
that is not the way the God of the Bible functions. The God of the Bible is a God who extends mercy, who gives what we do not deserve. No, I'm sorry. Grace, which is more of what we see in the New Testament on the other side of the cross, is not just mercy. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is undeserved favor, actually giving us what we don't. Y'all see that? We serve a God who is merciful. And I think many people don't pray because they don't know that. Author Jen Wilkin, who works in a church here in the Dallas area, writes these words, when we know that we are greatly loved, we'll pray when we're happy, when we're anxious, when we see God at work, and when we don't see God at work. Can I add to that and would say, when we know that we are greatly loved, we'll pray when we know we are sinful. Gospel-centered people, people who know that God is merciful can approach God in their sin, confess their sin, and cry out for mercy. Isn't that good? Daniel does. Daniel prays for God to do, to not do, what he deserves, what his people deserve, but to be merciful. Let's see now God's response. Verse 24. No, sorry, verse 20, I skipped. Some of you all be like, Sam, wait. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea what was his plea his plea was for mercy we'll read it again in verse 23 before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God while I was speaking in prayer the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first we saw him earlier in the book came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice that's usually the third time that the Jews will pray he made me understand speaking with me and saying oh Daniel I have now come out to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your pleas for mercy a word went out notice for just a second Daniel's prayer had effect in heaven I don't know fully how this works. I believe we have a sovereign God who's in complete control, but somehow he's worked it together to connect to the prayers of his people. And then when his people pray, it has effect in heaven and on earth. And when Daniel started to pray at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24, radical prophecy in our supernatural book that we hold in our hands. Verse 24, 70 weeks. Anyone have a different translation than weeks right there? 77s. That's actually a more literal translation you can go to Leviticus chapter 25 and see that this same word in the Hebrew language is translated not as seven days that would be in a week, 
but seven years that would be in a cycle where they would not farm the ground every seventh year. So this is not having to refer to weeks. It can also be a cycle of seven years. But he says 70 weeks or 70 years, 70 sevens in a cycle are decreed about your people and your holy city. Two, watch, this is the decree, is going to bring this incredible answer to the prayer that Daniel has been praying. To finish the transgression. Transgression is what? Sin that he has been confessing. To put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity. To literally make it right, the wrong that has been done to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. All right. <laughs> Seventy-sevens have been declared about your people to do those incredible promises there in verse 24. So what's the response? The response to this empowered prayer is an incredible promise when are these things going to take place? Verse 25 tells them when it will start. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Stop here with me for a second. <laughs> I'm about to jump into this prophecy and I'm going to seek to interpret it literally. Now, now let me say that some interpret this prophecy figuratively, and that is understandable. Why? Well, he has just said 77s, which could be two perfect numbers back to back, which could say when the perfect time has come, God is going to do this. Jesus in the New Testament, when he was asked, how often should you forgive? Jesus says, how often? 70 times seven. And most take that, I myself take that, as not after it reaches, when you count all those up, you don't have to forgive anymore. He is saying, no, God is calling you to forgive perfectly over and over and over again, okay? So some people interpret this just to mean figuratively Okay, over when the perfect time has come, God is gonna bring forgiveness. That's understandable. Here's why I don't do that with this passage personally, okay? He was reading literal years in the book of Jeremiah, and he was, an interpret, he was interpreting those literal years literally, and it came to pass literally. Does that make sense? First. Second, the reason I think the prophecies in Daniel should first be taken literally is all of the prophecies of the kingdoms that were coming have all played out literally in these fascinatingly accurate ways on earth except for the last one, which is the one of, well, actually, you could argue too, but the, there's the Antichrist and then the coming kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, okay? 
So if they came literally, why would this not? So uh, this is why I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna with you it. As we look at it literally, if you've never seen this before and you question this book, let this knock your socks off. And if, if, if you believe in this book, let this lead you into what we are about to do together. Take communion and remember the promise of God taking the sin away that Daniel prayed for, all right? Here's what he says. He says, from the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. When did the going out of the word happen? In our Bibles, we know that there are three different waves of people that were sent to rebuild. In the second wave, there was a decree offered by a king named Artaxerxes. You can read about it later if you want to in Ezra chapter seven, where he decrees the people were to go and rebuild Jerusalem. If you wanna look at the history of when that happened, you can go to biblehub.com if you want for fun. 457 AD, the decree from Artaxerxes was offered that they should, again, from the word to go out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one. This is, word's gonna show up twice. It's literally the word Messiah, a prince, there shall be. And now he's gonna divide this time up, these 77s into chunks, watch. There shall be seven sevens first, then for 62 sevens, it shall be built again. So what happened in the seven sevens? It sounds like Jerusalem was rebuilt. And guess what? Josephus tells us, if you wanna add, which actually if you do this with your cal calculator, you actually subtract so that you can get to the right place because you gotta get to AD. Let's put the chart up here on the screen just for fun, okay? Uh, can you even read it? I know that's a long way away. Artaxerxes commands 49 years later in 408, which that date's not on the screen, is when Josephus says Jerusalem was rebuilt. That's the first division he gives us. Then he says, for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats. Some of your translations translate as roads, but it will be a troubled time. Do you know it was still a troubled time after Jerusalem was rebuilt? Why? They were still being controlled, right? right? Greece and then Rome, it was still a troubled time. Verse 26 And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one. The anointed one, if you want to then take the 62 and the seven, multiply them up, divide them at whatever, okay? Put the chart back up here on the screen. That gets you to 27 AD. Some of you are like, no, Sam, that's not right. It's 26. Well, some of you aren't calculating in for there was no zero AD. There was no zero AD or BC. So you lose a year. Those years... That leads you to when most scholars believe Jesus began his ministry here on earth. And he prophesies it to Daniel 500 years almost before 483 years ahead. And then he provides this division again in the years that he's listing. Okay, keep going with me. This is gonna lead us right now into the Lord's Supper in just a second. Watch. The anointed one, he should show up after. He says after, doesn't say how long after, just says after the 62 weeks plus the seven. The anointed one shall be cut off. The cut off there is being referred to, I believe, his death. His coming was earlier in verse uh, 25. You seeing specifically that the, those two dates were leading to his coming. 
after that, sometimes after that, he's going to be cut off, which he died, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. So he's prophesying again before the city was rebuilt, the city would be restored, destroyed again, which happened in 70. We know A.D. in the sanctuary and its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. All of a sudden now we're to the final week. What happened in the middle? Okay. Ah. <laughs> Do y'all know that the Bible actually in the New Testament tells us the prophets could not see the age of the church? Uh, th there's a diagram I'll show you here real quick. This was, uh, was drawn out years ago. The, the mountain peak theory, uh, the way that the world saw prophecy they saw that Jesus would come as a suffering servant. They saw that there would be a conquering king, but they did not see in the middle. Uh, Paul actually writes in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read you these words. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and their other generations, and it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. When did the Gentiles become heirs of the promises? They became heirs of the promises when God started welcoming in through faith into the church of Jesus Christ. Members of the same body, that's us if you're in the room and you're not a Jew, that's us and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says they could not see it, that there was a parenthesis here in the middle that happened after, but then he prophesies that the one who destroys in verse 27, that person will make a strong covenant with many for one week. So there's a, a last period of seven years that was separated from the other 69. Y'all see that? That's, the, that's what hasn't happened yet. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifices and the offerings. A half of those seven sevens, uh, the half of the one seven, that's a one seven, not seven seven. Put an end to sacrifice and offering. We read about that in chapter eight of Daniel, the abomination of desolation. And on the wings of an abomination will come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is crazy to me that we hold in our hands you, you want to study the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have carbon dated that book that we're reading from, from the, the, the second century BC, 200 like years before Christ showed up on the scene. We, we have Daniel praying and, and the, the, someone coming and saying, hey, guess what? If you're here in the room and you want to come forward to start serving the Lord table, I want to invite you forward. We, we had a promise that, guess what, in the future, and I'm going to tell you how many years, he says, from the decree to the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, that there's going to be someone who's going to come that's going to finish the transgression, the sins that you confessed, that Daniel confessed, there's someone who's going to come to finish the decree, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to make the sin that we have committed, the wrongs that we have done. He's going to come and he's going to make it right. He promised that to Daniel and he said, here's how many years until it's going to happen. If you're here in the room and you don't believe the Bible's true, study it. Look at the supernatural side of what this book says. And then if you're here and you're thinking, why do we sing about Jesus? 
Why, why, did, why did we say, I just want to speak? The, why, why didn't we just sing, why didn't we speak the name of Daniel? If Daniel were here today, he'd say, I'm not the answer. Jesus is. And what we get to do right now is we get to remember that he died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice to take our sin away. And here's where we get to start. You get to start the way Daniel started. You get to posture your prayer with confession. To go before God right now and to say, God, I'm a sinner. I have not earned favor. And you get to ask him for mercy, but then you get to praise him for the mercy that he's offered through his son, Jesus. So, gentlemen, if you'll take right now the elements and pass them out, I want to ask that if you're here in the room, you believe in Jesus, even if you're not a member, you can take today. But what I want you to do is to pray like Daniel prayed, to confess your sin. The, the worship song is going to help us to do this, to, to pray for mercy and to thank him at the same time for the promised response to this prophecy, his son dying on the cross for our sin. So let's reflect together, take together. After everyone's served, I'll come up and lead us. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.